This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. By the book on BFM 89.9. Hello, everybody, and welcome to By the Book. I'm Lee Chui Lin. Joining me, as always, is my fellow enjoyer of crime, thriller, horror fiction, Sharmila Ganesan. Hello, very much so. Yes, and today uh, we are actually going to be joined by an author whose book kind of deals in those areas. We're speaking with Chua Kok Yi, who's the author of the book Not a Monster, uh, which won the second Fixie Novo Malaysian Novel Contest. Uh, Kok Yi, thank you so much for joining us today. Hello. It's my pleasure to be here today. Thanks for inviting me. So um, I wanted to start by asking you to summarize your book, mostly because I don't want to be um, the one who spoils anything for anyone. So, so how would you describe the story? Well, uh, this is the hardest part because of, of all the books I've written, right? Because this is uh, basically a mysterious, uh, mystery thriller kind of a book. So there's a lot of uh, plot twists inside this book. Uh, so <laughs> I always struggle to find the right way to describe the book without spoiling it for the future readers or current readers of the book, right? Put in a very non-spoiler kind of way. This book is about the adventure of two police officers, right? uh, the two main characters, Dominic Wong and also Nadia, right? So both of them are investigating cases about disappearing of young, young people, children and teenagers. And uh, they, they suspect it involves serial killer. And also, there's some element of supernatural in their cases as well. So they started as a separate cases. And then, but then these two main characters will eventually meet towards the end of the book. And there'll be some secrets that will be shared between the two characters that will be revealed inside the book as well. So you've been writing for quite a while now, um, but your previous short stories and collections have have taken on uh, various themes and various genres. For your debut novel, what mm-hmm. made you want to write a crime thriller? To be honest, I write things that I think that just come across my mind and I do not actually want to box myself into any specific uh, genre. You know, I do not think of myself as a writer of a specific kind of genre, you know, whether it's, it's a horror, it's a thriller, it's a something uh, more philosophical, literature kind of kind of a stories. So when I see there's a good story, I'll start writing the stories. And of course, I think uh, I'm a big fan of horrors and also crime like you, you too as well. So the element of those will come in naturally, right? In most of my story, although not all, all story, but I, I, I did not want to put it in just for the sake of putting in those elements. It has to be relevant to the story itself. So that's how this story, this particular novel come about. And also, I think while I write to entertain, I write to, to, to enjoy, for my reader to enjoy, the only thing I try to put into my stories or my work is actually a questions or a philosophy about life. In a way, subtle way, I don't want to preach about anything so that the readers might pick up and start questioning certain things about life. Right. So that, that is actually how I want to characterize my stories and my work. So did you plan the arc of the story? Basically, did you know from the start, okay, I I have a rough idea of where I want to go with this, where I want it to end? Or was it something that you discovered along the way and it changed as you were writing it? Okay, it depends on the form of the story itself. Basically, for for short stories, right, most of the time I'll start with a concept, uh, something that I found interesting. It could be an observation, it could be a character, it could be an event. 
then I'll just let it roll from there. I do not plan, you know, how how to end the story, you know, what is the middle arc, everything like that. I didn't really plan. I actually go with the flow. That is for short stories. But for novel, and this is my first novel that I actually completed, I found that that approach doesn't work for me. So I, I actually have to change my approach a bit when I start writing novels in the sense that I do start plotting out the main points for the stories itself. I do start you know, thinking about from chapter to chapter, how do we go? What are the stories in it? And uh, how it ends as well. So the book won the second Fixie Novo Malaysian Novel Contest. Tell us about the process of writing the novel, submitting it for the competition. Okay. You know, for the past two years, right, uh, it has been a very tough time for, for a lot of people, including a lot of us here, right, because of the pandemic and stuff like that. Uh, I personally also, you know, gone through some some tough time in, from the career point of view and everything else. Uh, touch wood, I think, okay, I, I don't want to sound careless because I I, I didn't go to a, the extreme far compared to a lot of other people who suffer even more for myself. That's that's not what I'm trying to downplay that. But one one good thing that come up from these two years of pandemic is this novel for me on my side, right? Uh, because I found myself to have a bit more time <laughs> on my hand to actually sit down and actually do uh, more writings. Uh, so this novel itself actually started 10 years ago, believe it or not. The seed of the story was actually a short story that I've written about 10 years ago. Uh, so during last year, when I had a bit more time, I actually just take out some of this story from my drawer and rewise some of the stories, reread some of the stories. It's a habit of mine. I write a, a bit, then I keep it, you know, I just keep it there. And then after that, I receive it with a fresher eyes to, to see how I can improve on the story before I actually say that it's done. So I was reading this, this story that was, I think, quite, quite okay. Then as I was reading and revising it, I keep on adding stuff into it. It becomes from a, a maybe a 4,000 word stories. It becomes sort of like a novella kind of thing. It becomes a 20,000 word stories. And you know, novella is the worst part, type of form that we, you can encounter as an author, right? Too short to be a novel and too long to be a short story and there's no market for it. It's, it's, it's going to be hard to find someone to publish it, right? So I thought, hey, you know what? There's a potential. Maybe I should try and turn it into a novel. So I tried. <laughs> to my best effort, I can only do about maybe 30,000, 40,000 words kind of thing. Again, also when you write, also you do not want to you know, simply add on feelers to the story that doesn't make sense or doesn't doesn't add value to the stories, right? Just for the for the sake of adding the word count. So I did not do that. I just then I thought after we revise it, I thought, oh okay, this is it. Then I put it aside and I start looking at other 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 stories, right? And somehow I found another story that I've written that is not completed yet, but the the thematic wise it actually fit to this story that that I have the initial story. I call it uh, the Dominic, the Dominic Wong character story, right? So then I found the second story, which is uh, the Nadia, Nadia character story. It was slightly different from the from the end result, but thematically, I I realized that I can fit these two together to make as a proper whole story as well, right? It, it does fit together. That's where the plotting and the planning start to combine these two story into a novel, right? Uh, that's where the 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 actual writing start I think I, I spent the actual writing about maybe about six to seven months there about you know including plotting changing revising everything uh, so so in the end I managed to finish the story uh, as for how I got involved in this uh, physical competition it is actually a matter of timing actually right so I, I was about to complete my novel and I know about the competition since the first year that Terence Terence won it Terence is a, is a friend 
right? So we, I, I do know, know that, that there's such competition as well. So after I, I got this product, so-called product in my hand, the novel in my hand, the manuscript in my hand, there was the other part of me that thinking, hey, should I join the competition or should I, you know what, I, I could just give Ami Muhammad a call and tell you, hey, Ami, you know, I got, I got this story, would you like to, to publish it or not other than that? But in the end, right, I was telling myself, hey, this is the first time you're writing a novel. When it comes to short stories, I don't want to sound cocky, but I, I do know that I, I can write good short stories. <laughs> yeah. So because I, I, I know that we published quite a lot in, in short stories. So to me, that is something that I, I really know deep inside I can do it. Right. But novel is a totally new territory for me. I'm not proven. You know, I, I have not tried this before. So I thought, hmm, maybe I should try to prove myself by submitting this story because I know I know the judging is, is done blindly, right? So so that, that there won't be any name of the author attached to the stories to be distributed to the judges for them to, to make a decision. So then they don't know me. The, I, the last thing I want is to, you know, if I contact Ame or contact any of these people, publishers that I know, that they know, oh, oh okay, your children, I, I, I heard of you, I, I know some of your work. And even though my novel might, might sucks, they might still, you know, liar me kind of thing. <laughs> so I, I don't want that to happen, right? In a sense that I, I want to test myself. So yeah, I thought, why not just submit to this competition? Then you know where you actually stand, right? On a way, unbiased and very objective kind of way, you know. If you get rejected, you don't get shortlisted, then okay, you just need to improve on your novel writing skill. That's how it is. My expectation, to be honest, I was happy if I, I were to get shortlisted. That's all. That's, that was my goal. But fortunately, I, I actually won, eventually won the whole contest itself. So yeah, that was how it came about. So you mentioned earlier on that both your main characters are detectives. They, they work in the police. So it makes sense then that there's also a lot of emphasis on the process of investigations, how the PDRM yep. might work, um, the, yep. the strategies that they might employ. What sort of research did you do for that? I asked a lot of information from Uncle Google. <laughs> uh, but, but then also, I also have to thank another author that I know, Roslan Mohamad No, the author of this Inspector Misan series. I'm not sure whether people are aware of that, but uh, Roslan actually was a former police officer. And I, I, I know him from many years ago when we, when we were in the same forum on a talk on about literature, I think, I think about five or seven years or eight years back. So he's a very nice guy. I, I did my research on my own as best as I can, whether through internet, you know, reading articles and all these other things. Then I also paid him a visit. Thankfully, he's a very generous guy with his, his uh, information, with his uh, knowledge. So he shared a lot of all these police procedures, you know, a lot of terms that the actual police in Malaysia use. So that's how I did my research. That's why I think uh, it's kind of authentic in the sense lah. And what were some of the inspirations for you with this novel? Were there particular authors or even movies that you drew on? I think the biggest inspiration is actually, I, I wouldn't call it an inspiration, but I think there's one big question, right, that has been bothering me or, or has been something that I wanted to, to talk about. is the question about whether it's uh, evil, the nature of evil. Are, are people born evil or is it nurture versus nature kind of the argument there lah? I, until today, of course, I don't have the answer. But what I can do is just write some stories to, to start like, you know, share my thoughts and to see other people, what other people think about that. So I think one, something that I actually 
prompted me to get into into a bit more specific into these stories is there were a few documentaries that I watched during the time pertaining to serial killers. I was a, a big I am still a big fan of the actual Netflix series Mindhunter. I believe we call Mindhunter is about the two FBI profiler, mm-hmm. right? I think I think that was an excellent series that that based on real life FBI where people actually there wasn't even a concept of serial killer until in the 60s, 70s when these two guys come about. So after I watched the series, right, some question was come to my mind was, you know, why, why people do this kind of evil things? You know, are, are they born or is it because of the background, the upbringing and stuff like that? Then I, I read more, I do more research on these are serial killers, their history, you know, there are a bit of a, a few very good books about serial killers out there, you know. So all these things, when I read, it, it become part of the element in the, in the novel that I wrote. We're speaking today with Chua Kok Yee about his book, Not a Monster, which incidentally won the second Fixie Novo Malaysian Novel Contest. Let us know, are you someone who enjoys some darkness in your fiction? Do you like crime thrillers? Do you like crime thrillers with a bit of a supernatural twist? Um, let us know. You can WhatsApp us 018-789-8899, tweet us at BFM Radio, write to us, of course, at bythebook@bfm.my. Building Fit Malaysians. BFM 89.9. Hello, everybody. You are listening to Buy the Book with Lynn and Sharmila, and we're joined today by Chua Kok Yi, who is the author of Not a Monster, the book that we are talking about today. Kok Yi, something I wanted to pick up on, right? Because as you mentioned, the book very much is interested in this idea of the nature of good and bad, what makes a person good or evil. And consequently, it goes to some very dark places. I don't want to spoil it, but it does do that. How did you decide how far you could go in terms of how dark it could get? I mean, we are talking about, for example, children. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, uh, <laughs> this is a very, very interesting question, Lynn. Thank you. For me, right, as, as an author, right, I am not afraid to push the envelope as far as I can go as long as I know I'm doing it for the right reason and not just for the sake of shock value. Let me do a bit of little spoiler here. There are murders of young children in my book. What I can do is I try not to describe the act itself in a very explicit kind of way unless I cannot avoid it. And I do not, I consciously try not to use that kind of scene to shock the readers, you know, to make the book controversial or something like that. It's not the intention, but the intention, if even when I write the scene, is to show the cruelty of the act and the impact to the characters, right? So it has to be done, then it has to be done, right? Just like nudity in film, right? You can do it because it's necessary or you can do it just to sell the film as well, right? So I think you have to draw a line there and only, only the author themselves will know which is the true intention of putting certain scene into the book. That's number one. Uh, number two, the concept itself about, let's say, murder of children, right? I did actually encounter some resistance when I was uh, up and coming writer when I was still still very new into writing. Right? Some people were telling me not to touch on such a taboo subject, you know, such a dark subject, right? At that point, I was, okay, half-heartedly agreed on that, right? But now as I mature as a person and even as an author, right, I no longer afraid to go into this subject because it is happening in the real world. We can try to be nice and only talk about rainbow, unicorns, uh, everything nice and, and, and happy kind of thing, right? But there is a lot of darkness in the world and someone has to address it. Author is one of those people who can actually address it in a very indirect way. It is in a sense that author 
can use their talent to put a light or put a spotlight on this kind of subject so that it can be talked about not in a way that gossip talk about but talk about in a sense that you know have a conversation around it and it's throughout this conversation that we can find answers or solutions there's also a wider conversation recently in the writing world, uh, in, in the movie world, for instance, about the idea of female victimization and female violence, right? What mm-hmm. kind of considerations did you make when you're writing about these themes, uh, particularly when it came to your female characters? <laughs> well, this is a tough question to answer, uh, Shamila. I think that a lot of, a lot of time, right, the author actually leave pieces of themselves onto their work. You can see, despite all the fictional character whatsoever, there are part of the authors that they leave behind inside the books and inside their writing as well. Sometimes we are who we are. There was a big hoo-ha when we talk about Lovecraft in the past because because of the racism, right? Issue of racism, right? Lovecraft. But he, he was a man of his time. That was the culture. So so on this part, I, I don't really think that I, I would boycott his work because of how, how he lived his life, which is relevant during his, his period of time, but which is wrong during our period of time. Woman victimization is the same thing as well. I think... Back in the 60s, when you look at the popular culture, the James Bond movie, right? The women are always portrayed as weak, portrayed as victims and stuff like that. And I think we are not seeing that kind of uh, portrayal anymore. And that is because also in real life, uh, women are becoming more and more empowered. Women are becoming stronger. Uh, they are more autonomous. They are more powerful, right? We have we have women presidents or, or prime ministers in New Zealand, you know, in, in Germany. So this is as a society are changing, and the, the the work, the art actually reflect this kind of changes as well. So there's no need for me to consciously or to deliberately try to portray women as strong in my book or try to avoid them being victimized in my stories as well. If it happens, uh, it happens because that's how real life is actually, right? So in this, this novel, not, not a monster, you have very strong female characters. One of the main characters, Nadra, is a very strong female character. The other inspector, sorry, I can't even remember all my character names, uh, but she, she assisted Dominic Wong, right? The, the other uh, inspector as well, a very smart lady. I think it's... Uh, Inspector Nina or something. Amira? Sorry. Yes, Amira. Yes, that character. Yeah. Thank you, Shamila. <laughs> now it seems like you remember my character better than myself, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Amira, back then she wasn't an inspector. Oh, she was a sub-inspector, right? She, she's a very smart and uh, lady as well who helped him to solve the case and even his, uh, his personal life as well, right? Uh, but at the same time, I also have women who are the victims of the serial killer as well. So am I consciously or unconsciously, you know, doing a female victimization? I hope not. I hope not. But I think what I'm just trying to do is reflect what's happening in real life. To, to be honest, female are more vulnerable to crime in real life as well. That's all it is. And, and it fit the story. It fit the characters of the bad guy in the book as well. Speaking of real life, crime thrillers also often thrive on creating a sense of place, right? You you need to understand where everybody is, yeah. the kind of space that they occupy. Um, how important was capturing a sense of, of KL or of localness for you with this book? 
that's interesting. I actually saw a, a comment online say that you know my book is not localized enough. Right? Uh, you know, you just put the characters, change the character name, and you change the location to any other country in the world. Uh, it will still work. Well, I take that as a compliment. That means that the story is universal enough to be happening in any part of the world. That's number one, right? Uh, number two is when you come to writing story about Malaysia, about Kuala Lumpur, about our culture, I do not want to force it in a sense that this story, I keep on throwing in the, the local names or the local foods or anything like that. It, it has to happen in a very organic kind of way. So this story is set in Klang Valley. So naturally, the location you see is someplace that is, is uh, familiar, but it's not only about the name of the places that make the story local it's also the culture as well right i think there's one one opening scene that where where the inspector are eating at the, the kaki lima of, of the restaurant where, where the, our restaurant also is like it's the open kind of concept there's no no proper door or something i think this is very malaysian thing right or maybe southeast asia you won't find this kind of restaurant in a western country again the easy way out is the food that they eat as well Right, that's the other thing. Although, yeah, I do, I do take some easy way out just to tie something just to tie back to my previous work as well. <laughs> that's some some Easter egg inside the story actually. If someone can find it, right? Then the other thing is also uh the way certain character behave in certain environment. Uh, like we have a, I think in one scene you have this uh illegal car jockey, and, and I think that is very, it's a very Malaysian thing actually. <laughs> right, you have this uh someone that you suspect to be drug addict, you know, the skinny guy standing near the car park there, wandering around, asking for, for money to, to take care of your car, right? It's just something that, that you can see every day in, in KL, right? Those, those kind of things as well. You know, the places that our character live, all these are things. Uh, I try to describe it as real as possible. So speaking of that kind of localness, ghost stories are actually a hugely important part of Malaysian storytelling. Yeah. And your novel, in some ways, draws on supernatural elements um, and on horror. Mm. Um, are there particular tropes or ideas that work particularly well in a local context when we talk about what's scary? Um, how did you draw on that in your story? I think if we wanted to start to resonate with these uh, local readers, right? The myth and the, the creature or the supernatural element has to be something that the reader is already familiar with. For example, if you write a story about a bloodsucker, in the Malaysian context, it's much easier if your character is a Pontianak than a vampire. Right, the vampire as in a in a Western context of the vampire, you know, afraid of sunlight, you know, afraid of garlic kind of thing. Hey, we Malaysia eat garlic every day, right? So, <laughs> so that the, the concept of the Western vampire afraid of garlic, right? Then it's, it's, it won't work well in Malaysia because he won't be able to find any, any victim in Malaysia. Right? Garlic is, is such a sort of common thing that we eat every day. But if you talk about Pontianak, right, you don't even have to describe fully how the Pontianak look like, but the readers already know about Pontianak. Then you talk about things like, for example, Santau, right? Santau, uh, the black magic, right? Our readers are very familiar with it. So they become scared of it, you know, because you're on a daily, on, on a normal life, so they, they, they know how scary it can be. Then when they read about it, it becomes scarier. So I think I think you have to understand, know, I mean, be knowledgeable about the local myth and supernatural elements and try to incorporate that into um the story. I think that will make the story work in a local context. 
So I don't know necessarily if this is where you were coming from, but while I was reading the book, I was listening to the character speak in my head. I was reminded very much of how people speak in firstly detective novels, but mainly actually police procedurals, the kind of things that we might watch uh, on television or in film. Was this a conscious decision, especially in terms of dialogue and how people would speak to one another? Yes, in the sense that it has to be done that way, right? Because again, this novel has a lot of police procedures and and I have to include that in the in the way they speak to each other, to the term they use as well, right? To to add the authenticity to the characters, to make the characters really be someone that is actually been trained in the field. Uh, they are real police. So certain terms they use are something that a bit more realistic, like I would say that. As for the similarity to what we see in these uh, other crime thriller kind of uh, character, the way they, they speak is right. It could be a cliche, but it's also because there is partial truth in that's how these people communicate when it comes to some technical terms, right? So it all sounds similar, right? Like you see, if you sit down and see a bunch of auditor talk, right, they will all talk about credit, debit, balance sheet. They're using the same language, right? So you say, oh, it's a cliche. Accountant don't talk like that. But actually, no, accountant do talk like that. <laughs> you know? Yeah, so that, that's, how, that's how it is, lah. So this isn't really the main point of the story, but you do make allusions to Malaysia's cultural context, political context, and these actually shape the events of the story in a very particular way. How did you balance out uh, this element of social commentary while also just writing a thrilling tale? Uh, I think I go back to the point that, that I, I made earlier. I think we all leave a, a, a piece of ourselves behind when we write stories, right? So it forms our experience, our social environment, our cultural upbringing or something form who we are. And who we are also decide how we write the characters as well. So therefore, you can see some, you know, some shade of things that, that the character thinks, right? It could be reflecting how I think as well as, as a person, as an author, right? Uh, but I, I try to distance it as much as possible. But sometimes, you know, it leaks up. You know? <laughs> the, the character just, just imitates the, the, the creator right in, in certain sense that you know unconscious manner as well that that is the on the unconscious part but of course certain things also is a bit more conscious certain scenes I, I do consciously try to make some social commentary as well but not in a very preachy kind of way right because as I say uh, at the beginning of the interview I think a good author should be able to let the reader enjoy the book but at the same time ask questions after reading the book. Right, so I think this is also a way to do it by you know including certain subtle social commentary about either political culture or or, or even the uh, situation, the current situation, right in our, our countries or in the world itself as as well, uh, and let the readers ponder on that. So, in closing, uh, what's next for you? What do you have lined up? I'm working on on uh, another novel as well. And also a collection of my short stories. So hopefully I can get more book published. <laughs> I, I, I'm a very kind of slow... Actually, I'm not a slow writer. I, I write quite consistently. Just that I didn't get myself published that often, basically, right? I think it has been quite a big gap between my previous uh, single collection, Without Anchovies. I think that was published back in 2010 or 2009, I believe. So there's almost a 10 years gap between my two works, right? So I try to make the gap smaller. 
but I'm, work, I'm working on a, a novel and a collection of short stories as well. Thank you so much for speaking with us today. Thank you for having me. We've been speaking with Chua Kok Yi, who is the author of Not a Monster, which won the second Fixie Novel Malaysian Novel Contest. We'd like to hear from you. Have you read Not a Monster? Are you also a fan in general of crime thrillers, right? Crime thrillers that have maybe a little bit of a horror element as well. You can let us know by WhatsApping 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio and write to us at bythebook at bfm.my. brings us to footnotes. So as is usually the case when we speak to an author about a book, we spend this part of the show reviewing it, right? Just talking about our impressions of reading it. So again, uh, we are talking today about Chua Kok Yi's Not a Monster. And uh, yeah, Sharmila, what did you make of it? Well, you know, there are those thrillers that are actually literally page turners, right? And I have to say that Not a Monster definitely was one of those for me because um, one, it is actually very easy to read. And I don't mean that as a bad thing, but it's a it's a slim book. It's an easy to read book, but it's also a book that keeps you wanting to know what happens next. Um, and that, of course, in a, in a thriller, in a crime thriller is a great quality. Overall, I enjoyed this very much. I also was surprised by it quite a bit. I didn't expect expect the story to take the turns that it did. Um, and I, I think I can get into this a little bit a bit later, but um, I did find myself actually quite scared at some points in reading the book. Yeah, uh, so I agree entirely. I finished the book, I think, in a night and a half, something like that. It was a very fast read. And that's partly to do with, like you said, it's a slim volume, but primarily it's the ease of language and the story being quite compelling. So as you read it, you're like, no, but I... I don't actually know where this is going. Um, I'm very curious about it. I really like the juxtaposing of perspectives because you have on the one hand Dominic, right? And you have on the other hand Nadra and they're clearly investigating stories that have parallels to one another but those parallels aren't made very clear or explicit. You just know that they're related but you're not sure how. And I think that having that kind of format where you're toggling back and forth between the stories and you are in some ways almost anticipating or waiting for the paths to collide is actually quite a rewarding way to do it because when it finally happens, you're like, oh, <laughs> I see. Um, the other thing that I just wanted to say up front, and this is something that we actually asked Kok Yi about in the interview, is the darkness of the story. And I have to say that when you say surprise, I don't know if this is what you're referring to necessarily, but I was surprised by how far we could go within the story and how committed the novel was to saying, no, this is the argument I'm making. This is the point of view that I'm going to hold and holding it well and defending it well in terms of its story, right? Making it worth its while and justifying the darkness. But yeah, I, I have a feeling that there are authors who would have pulled their punches. I think I might have pulled my punches and, and this book really went where it needed to go. Not in a way that you would be like, oh, I can't believe you did that. Or in um, a gratuitous way. No, no. It, it felt earned, which I think is important. And you're right that the darkness in this book is actually less to do with the, the serial murdering and so on, which can <laughs> and also so be... so on. I just know, the, just the small me. stuff. Um, that stuff is disturbing, but actually it's the, the more philosophical idea behind the book that ends up being darker. And that I didn't expect. I also really didn't expect uh, how everything was resolved or how these events converged. I don't 
think most people would see that coming. And again, that's that's actually really quite exciting. I do wish that uh, the way the book ends was a little bit better led up to, I think. For me, like for, it, it sort of came out of nowhere. It did feel like, whoa, okay, so this is what's happening now. But it almost felt like the book happens in like in three distinct thirds. And I would have liked to see a little bit better connective tissue for for the story. Mm, So I agree about the three distinct thirds. I I don't necessarily feel the need for more connective tissue. I liked what was there. The connections that were made were enough for me to reach the ending and go, ah, okay, right, this all makes sense. It's, It's tying together. It's coalescing. What I wish I had a bit more of, I think, is the final third. So when we say three thirds, yes, it makes yes. it sound even, but it's actually not even. It's more like there's a there's a lengthy midsection. So there's a short first section, lengthy midsection, and an even shorter um, final bit. And I do think that that final bit has some splaining to do in terms of, well, what exactly is going on? How long has it been going on for? What exactly is, um, is the source of what happens? And that is alluded to, but not necessarily something that is explained in, in a lot of detail. I was all right with it because I saw it as the closing of the character arcs more so than the stories. I don't know if that makes sense. No, it makes sense. Um, I do think that everyone's story ends very satisfyingly. Um, and that's probably why even at the end, you're kind of like, oh, okay, yes, this all fits together now. I see where this came from. I, I think if if we're talking about critique, one other thing that I would have liked to see more of is just, I think, more specificity with the characters and how they speak. Um, and, and I know we did talk to Kogi earlier about how people speak. I just felt sometimes because everyone's written to speak in very similar ways, I often had to reread pages to, to, make, to make sure I knew who was saying what. And especially because we're talking about people in a Malaysian context, sometimes from very different Malaysian contexts, I would have liked to see that reflected a little bit more in the way people express themselves. Yeah, I understood that. And that was, I think, a little bit more distracting at the beginning. As time wears on, you you get accustomed to it and this just becomes the world that you occupy. I think earlier he spoke about wanting or, or being glad to have written in some ways a more universal story. And so I think accepting that those are the terms that we're reading this on kind of helps to make a little bit of a mental switch. Although, like you said, I think we've spoken about this before even on our show. The use of la where it's not warranted or the peppering no. in of Malaysian <laughs> phrases where you know that this person probably doesn't speak that way. The author's just trying to make a point. None of that is very fun. So if it's a choice, I guess, between the the misplaced and overused la or a lack of la, <laughs> nobody la's at all, um, I, I, I'm okay with the latter. I agree that there could have been a stronger distinction between who's speaking. And that's not even a language thing so much as it is a characterization through dialogue thing, I think, which maybe because of the origins as a short story, that might be where it comes from. Can I just say, though, that where the specificity or even the the localness got to me was actually in the scary parts. Um, There are some scenes, and, you know, I did read parts of this book late at night. Uh, There are some scenes where things happen, you know, someone 
emerges in a parking lot, for instance, where oh, I, I couldn't sleep after that. And that's because I was kind of, I felt like I could see whatever it is they were, they might be talking about in my head. And you imagine all of these local myths or legends or ghost stories. And, and that really got to me. So I think at least in that aspect, the local connection, the fact that it's, you know, happening in Taman Konot or whatever, uh, really does end up getting to you after a while. So I think the question is overall, would we recommend? I would. I would. I think crime thriller set in the city you live in or city you know is always exciting. Uh, a good crime thriller is also always just fun to read. So I would recommend this. Same. I, I thought that it was a odd word to use maybe for something involving child death and murder, but it was a fun read. Um, it, it was the the thing that you want. It hits the spot when we're talking about a crime thriller. And I think specifically when you're talking about something that you expect from from Fixie, frankly, where it's it's urban, it's somewhat gritty. It That's has a very Fixie novel book. It is, it? it is. So it has its roots in the darker urban sides of Malaysia. And, and I like that. I think sometimes you just want a pot boiler. So we've been talking today about uh, Not a Monster. We spoke to the author of the book, Chua Kok Yi, in the first part of the show. We've been reviewing it now. Let us know if you're planning to read it, uh, if you already have, if you like crime thrillers, particularly those set in Malaysia that have allusions to perhaps Orang Minya or something else. Um, you can let us know by WhatsApping 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio. Write to us at buythebook at bfm.my. listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.